Chapter Six of Observations of an Orderly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Easton. Observations of an Orderly by Ward Muir. Chapter Six When the Wounded Arrive. The receiving hall of the hospital is its clearing house of patients. It is a huge room with a lofty and echoing roof, a little in the style of a church. Before the war, when the building was a school, this rather grandiose apartment no doubt witnessed speechifyings and prize distributions. May the time be not far distant when it will once again be used for those observances. Meanwhile, its vast floor is occupied by ranks of beds. Those beds are generally untenanted. Visitors who, like the lady in the play, have taken the wrong turning, are apt to find themselves in the receiving hall, and, gazing at its array of vacant beds, have been known to conclude that the hospital was empty, as if any war hospital in these times could be empty. But our patients have only a short acquaintanceship with the receiving hall beds. These beds are momentary resting places on their journey healthwards. They are not meant to lie in, but to lie on. The three-score wards for which the receiving hall is the clearing-house are the real destination of the patients, down long corridors in wards far cozier because less ornate than this, the patient will find his bed ready for him, the bed which he is not to lie on, but in. We orderlies meet each convoy at the front door of the hospital. The walking cases are the first to arrive, men who are either not ill enough or not badly enough wounded to need to be put on stretchers in ambulances. They come from the station in motor cars supplied by that indefatigable body, the London Ambulance Column. The walking case alights from his car, is conducted into the receiving hall, and ten minutes later is in the bathroom. For the ritual of the bath must on no account be omitted, although now not so obviously imperative as in the early period of the war. Few patients reach us who have not first sojourned, either for a day or two or for weeks, in hospitals in France. They are therefore merely travel-stained, as you or I might be travel-stained after coming over from Dublin to Euston. The bath is thus a pleasure more than a necessity, whereas there was an era when our guests came straight from only two populous trenches. O.C. Baths, as the bathroom orderly was nicknamed, had to be circumspect in the performance of his job. The few minutes which the walking case spends in the receiving hall are occupied, one, in drinking a cup of cocoa, and two, in having his particulars taken. Poor soul, he is weary of giving his particulars. He has had to give them half a dozen times at least, perhaps more, since he left the front. At the field dressing station they wanted his particulars, at the clearing station, on the train, at the base hospital, on another train, on the steamer, on the next train, and now in this English hospital. As he sits and comforts himself with cocoa, a V.A.D. hovers at his elbow intent on a printed sheet, the details of which she is rapidly filling in with a pencil. For this is a card index war, a colossal business of files and classifications and ledgers and statistics and registrations, an undertaking on a scale beside which Harrods and Whiteleys and Selfridges and Wanamakers and the Magazine de Louvre, all rolled into one, would be a flea-bite of simplicity. Ere the morrow shall have dawned, our patient's military biography will be recounted by various clerks in I don't know how many different entries. If you are curious, refer to one of our volumes of the Admission and Discharge Book, Field Service, Army Book 27A. 
open it at any of its closely written pages, and see the host of ruled columns which the orderly in charge of it must inscroll with reference to each of the many thousands of patients who pass through our hospital per annum. The columns ask for his regiment, squadron, battery or company, number, rank, surname, Christian name, age, length of service, completed months with field force, diseases, wounds and injuries are expressed by a number indicating their nature and whereabouts, date of admission, date of discharge or transfer, number of days under treatment, number of ward, religion, and observations, a space usually occupied by the name of the hospital ship upon which our friend crossed the channel, and the name of the convalescent home to which he went on bidding us adieu. Having furnished the preliminary statements which lay the foundation of this compendious memoir, the walking case thankfully finishes his cocoa, picks up the package of blues which has been put at his side, and departs with his fellows to the bathroom. Here he is tackled by the pack-store orderlies, who take from him and enter in their books his khaki clothes. These he must leave in exchange for the blue slop uniform which, pro tem, is to be his only wear. When he emerges from the bathroom, he is attired in what is now England's most honorable livery, the royal blue of the war hospital patient. And, though perhaps the matter is not mentioned to him in so many words, his own suit is already ticketed with an identification label and on its way to the fumigator. This is no reflection on the owner of the suit, but there are some things we don't talk about. Mr. Fumigator Walla is not the least busy of the more retiring members of a war hospital staff. He is not in the limelight, but you might come to be very sad and sorry if he took it into his head to neglect his unapplauded part off stage. The walking cases are still splashing and dressing in the bathroom when the ambulances with the cot cases begin to appear. Now is the orderly's busy time. Each stretcher must be quickly but gently removed from the ambulance and carried into the receiving hall. Four orderlies haul the stretcher from its shelf in the ambulance. Two orderlies then take its handles and carry it indoors. At the entrance to the receiving hall they halt. The medical officer bends over the patient, glances at the label which is attached to him, and assigns him to a ward. Certain types of cases go to certain groups of wards. The attendant sergeant promptly picks a metal ticket from a rack and lays it on the stretcher. The ticket has, punched on it, the number of the patient's ward and the number of the patient's bed in that ward. This ceremony completed, the orderlies proceed, with their burden, up the aisle between the beds in the receiving hall. Arrived at the bed, they lower their stretcher until it is at such a level that the patient, if he is active enough, can move off it onto the bed. If he is too weak to help himself, he is lifted onto the bed by orderlies under the direction of the receiving hall sister. The stretcher is promptly removed and restored to its ambulance. If the patient is in an exceptionally suffering condition, he is not placed on the receiving hall bed. Instead, the medical officer having given his permission, his stretcher is put on a wheeled trolley and he is taken straight away to his ward, so that he will only undergo one shift of position between the ambulance and his destination. The majority of stretcher cases, however, reach us in a by no means desperate state, for, as I say, they seldom come to England without having been treated previously at a base abroad, except during the periods of heavy fighting. And it is remarkable how often the patient refuses help in getting off the stretcher onto the bed. 
he may be a cocoon of bandages but he will courageously heave himself overboard from stretcher to bed with a gay wallop which would be deemed rash even in a person in perfect health our receiving hall at a big intake of wounded when every bed bears its poor victim of the war presents a spectacle which might give the philosopher food for thought but i suspect that if he regarded its actualities rather than his own preconceptions what would impress him more than the sadness would be on the one hand the kindliness brisk but not officious of the staff and on the other the spontaneous geniality of the battered occupants of the beds the orderlies can spare little time for talk but the few chats which they are able to have with patients whom they are helping to change their clothes or to whom they are proffering the inevitable cocoa which is a cocktail as it were prior to the meal which will be served in the men's own ward are punctuated by jokes and laughter rather than the long-visaged sympathy which the outsider might quite wrongly have pictured as appropriate to such an assemblage the stretcher case before he is taken to his ward must also give his particulars must also be interviewed by the pack store officials and must also have assigned to him his blue uniform wherewith are a shirt a cravat slippers and socks in anticipation of the time when he shall be able to use his feet again and promenade our corridors and grounds he receives the customary packet of cigarettes, probably the second, for he often gets one at the railway station, too, and then, on another stretcher, mounted on a trolley, is wheeled off to his ward. Here, bestowed in bed at last, we leave him to his blanket bath, his meal, his temperature-taking, and chart filling in by the sister, his visit from the doctor, and all the rest of it for the moment we see no more of him we must race back to the receiving hall and if there are no more patients to take away return the trolley to its proper nook put straight the blankets and pillows on the beds sweep the floor and tidy up generally in readiness for the next convoy's advent presently the huge room beneath its dim arch ceiling is silent and empty once more the four ranks of beds without a crease on their brown blankets are bare of occupants the sister and her probationers have vanished the pack store orderlies have carried off their loot of dirty khaki tunics and trousers for the fumigator the clerical v a d s have gone to enter particulars in ledgers and card indices the cookhouse people have removed their cocoa urn the sergeant is inspecting the metal ward tickets left in his rack a glance at them tells him how many beds and which beds are free in the hospital for the tickets have no duplicates any given ticket can only reappear in the rack when the bed which it connotes is out of use and awaiting a newcomer the ticket hangs from a nail in the wall beside the patient's bed just so long as that bed is tenanted so the rack of metal tickets might also take the place of that important document of which a freshly compiled edition is typed every morning the empty bed list and the sergeant is meditative as he sorts into the rack the tickets which have newly been sent in from the sisters of wards where there have been departures not much room in the eye wound wards he ponders or a lot of empties in the medicals and then the tinkle of the telephone another convoy expected at six fifteen twenty walking cases and seventeen cots right you are and at six fifteen the party of orderlies will be back again at the front door again the motor cars will stream up the drive again the ambulances will come with their stretchers and again the receiving hall will awaken from its interlude of silence to echo with the activities incidental to a clearing-house of those damaged human bundles which are the raison d'etre of our great war hospital End of chapter six